On today's Ear Snack, we travel to my hometown of Chicago, Illinois, to talk about Richard Speck, who murdered eight nurses all in one evening and later went on to grow tits and collect birds in prison. Welcome to For the Love of Murder. Hey listeners, this may come as a surprise, but this podcast is about murder. Due to the graphic nature of our stories, listener discretion is advised. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to For the Love of Murder. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. My name is Andy. Sitting across from me, as always, is my impeccably schmexy fiance Ange. Hola. And this is For the Love of Murder, where murder is a given. And humor is a must. So today's episode, I have not said anything to Ange. No, I don't know. I don't even know who we're doing it about today. She has no clue. No clue. But I'll give you a hint, because the reason I picked this one is the upcoming incident happened in my hometown, where I'm from. Chicago? Chicago. 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 So let's jump right in, shall we? Yes, I think we shall. So before we head to Chicago, we're going to head all the way to the city of Monmouth, Illinois. So those of you not familiar with Monmouth, it is the county seat of Warren County, Illinois, in the United States. It's about 213 miles west of Chicago. Z away. So it's about... You're in the wrong state. Get yourself a new map. So <laughs> it took me a second to... Pick up on the road, and then it hit me. <laughs> and if you blank. get it, you're you're old too. So we're about three hours and fifteen minutes drive wise west of Chicago in Monmouth. Uh, just to give you a little bit of bearing, Monmouth is the home of Monmouth College, which is a private, selective Presbyterian liberal arts college, which has about eleven hundred students from thirty two countries. Only eleven hundred. Yeah, it's a small, small college. Um, as of the 2000 census, there were 9,841 people. So it's mm. a small town. Uh, 3,600 households, about 2,300 families residing within the city. Racial makeup, 92% white. Yeah, sounds about right. About 3% African American, less than 1% Native American, about half a percent Asian, and a little bit of Pacific Islander. Tossed in there just for good measure. What the hell's wrong with you guys? Uh, yeah, well, it's one of those towns. So it is here on December sixth, nineteen forty-one, that Richard Benjamin Speck is born. Mm. Is this ringing a bell? Uh, the name is yes. Okay, the name is definitely ringing a bell. So good old Richard, he's the seventh of eight children born to Benjamin Franklin Speck. <laughs> Which I, ah. Benjamin Franklin. Uh, not that one, though, because no. Yeah, this one has a slightly lesser reputation. And isn't is it nearly as smart. Uh, so good old Benjamin Speck and Mary Margaret Cabaw Speck have these eight kids, and he's the seventh. Speck is, uh, correction, Speck and his younger sister, Carolyn, who was born just two years after Speck, were much younger than their four older sisters and two older brothers. Uh, Speck's eldest brother, Robert, died at the age of 23 in an automobile accident in 1952. So wow. you can already see the roots of tragedy 
sinking in mentally. Uh, Speck's father worked as a packer at the Western Stoneware in Monmouth. Uh, he'd previously worked as a farmer and a logger, and he was really close to his father. This is another one of those where, you know, he's kind of the little guy in the family. He's really close to dad. And, of course, dad dies in 1947 from a heart attack at the age of 53. Yeah, why not? And uh, Richard Speck is just six years old at the time of his father's death. So already witnessing great tragedy in you his life. He was six? He was six years old when his father died. Oh, man. That's like that's like the time where, oh, yeah, that stinks. Yeah. So a few years after his father's death, Speck's mother falls in love again with a traveling insurance salesman from Texas named Carl August Rudolph Lindbergh. Jeez, uh, what's up with these names? I know. Franklin and Limbaugh. They're intense. Uh, but she meets good old Carl on a train trip to Chicago. Uh, Carl was a raging alcoholic. Oh, of course he was. He had a 25-year criminal record that started with forgery and included several arrests for drunk driving. Um, and it's important to note here that this is completely the opposite of Speck's father, uh, who was sober. He was always known to be very hardworking and serious. Um, so, you know, like night and day for little Richard, you know, he goes from having dad who seems to be like, you know, all American, awesome dad, to uh, his mom being with this guy who's this drunk kind of petty criminal. Well, boy, that's a fall from grace, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, Speck's mom decides in 1950, she's going to marry Carl. I mean, why the hell not? Yes. Um, and she, you know, he's from this town called Palo Pinto, Texas. So they get married (laughs) there in Palo Pinto. I like Pinto beans. (laughs) They're really good. And the refried beans. Shoo, shit. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Um, so the whole family moves to Palo Pinto. However, Speck and his younger sister, Carolyn, they stay with their older sister, Sarah, in Monmouth for a couple months because uh, Richard needed to finish the second grade. So he wanted they wanted him to finish school before joining mom and Carl in Santo, Texas, is where they end up in Texas. Okay. Uh, just to give you a point of reference there, Santo is about 40 miles west of Fort Worth. It's okay. kind of like a kind of a suburb to fort worth texas just some good old boys yeah and that's where speck attends the third grade so after a year in santo speck moved with his mother stepfather and sister carolyn to east dallas in dallas texas um and this is where you know after going through all this other crap his brother dying his dad dying now he's you know his mom's marrying this crazy ass uh, they reportedly moved 10 times in the span of 12 years, bouncing around Jesus. East Dallas. Um, and, and all these homes were like in really shitty rundown areas of Dallas, kind of like the ghettos of Dallas. Um, and Speck absolutely hates this. He hates living this way. He hates his, his drunken, absent stepfather. Clearly. Um, who reportedly, I, I guess stepdad, psychologically abused him with insults and threats all the time, talked down to him, you know, basically made him feel like a piece of shit. Limbaugh seems um, like a real catch. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Dang. She moved up. Um, so, and, and apparently too, he had some trouble in school. He was, he was having some trouble in school. He needed glasses to read, but he refused to wear them because the kids would make fun of him when he wore his glasses. Yeah. Fuck these uh, kids, man. So he kind of struggles. Assholes. He struggles through the Dallas public school system system from fourth grade up through eighth grade. He repeats the eighth grade. Uh, at jail long junior high school you know what hang on a second if your kid's a bully go fuck yourself how about that 
Yeah, okay. I can't stand fucking bullies. I, you know what? It's so ridiculous. So if you're one of those parents where you're like, my kids never do anything wrong. Yes, they do. Okay, <laughs> yes, I guarantee you they do. And if you are yourself a bully, you can also go fuck yourself. Continue. So uh, little Richard Speck here, he's he's having some troubles while he's in grade school. Um, he has to repeat the eighth grade, which we mentioned, because uh, he basically refused to speak in class because he's got this lifelong fear of people staring at him. He doesn't like people looking at him, so he never wants to talk in class, Aww. which in turn makes him fail some classes, which in turn makes him repeat the whole eighth grade. Um, oh, that's no good. We get to the fall of 1957, and Speck starts ninth grade at the Crozier Technical High School, but he fails every subject and did not return for the second semester in January of 58. He just drops out after his 16th birthday, so he's donezos with school. So all this crazy shit going on in his life, he starts drinking at the age of 12. Wait, hold. Yes. Reportedly, drinking what? Kool-Aid? No, alcohol. He starts drinking alcohol at the Did, age of 12. Listen, Richie, Ricard, listen. Ricard. Is that going to be the nickname now? Yeah, Ricard. Ricard. Um, you're supposed to be drinking those huggy drinks. You know what drinks I'm talking about, right? When we were kids, they look like the little barrels. Yeah, the little Kool-Aid barrel looking things. What the fuck? 12 years old. Damn. Yeah. So he starts drinking alcohol at 12. By age 15, he's getting drunk almost every day. The age of 13? 15. 15. By 15, he's drinking every day. He's drunk every day. This is did, all while he's did, going through school. Did nobody, teachers, friends mother did anybody go hey ricard team top what the fuck are you doing uh, apparently not apparently they were too worried about uh mr Lindbergh and his issues oh jesus yeah so his first arrest is in 1955 at age 13 for trespassing okay and this this arrest is followed by dozens of other arrests for misdemeanors over the next eight years. Did did his arrest have to do with the Chuck E. Cheese? <laughs> because as far as I'm concerned, at 12 years old, the only thing you need to be doing is or outdoing, I mean, maybe a Chuck E. Cheese yeah. or Sky Zone. You remember those Sky Zones? No. Oh, maybe it wasn't Sky Zone I'm thinking of. We didn't Discovery Zone. We had Discovery Disco Zone. That's what I'm thinking of. That was yeah. amazing. First of all, why did that close down? I don't know. I'd want to go there drunk now it, as an adult. Le, yeah. Yeah. All right, Ricard, get it together. Ooh, or leaps and bounds. Did you have a leaps and bounds? It was kind of like Discovery Zone. I don't think so. With the big ball pits and slides. And Do you remember at Discovery Zone when you, would, when you would go down the slide and it was like those rollers? Yes, it was like the I roller swear, slide thing. It was so good. You know what? Why the hell is Chuck E. Cheese still out? But we can't get no damn Discovery Zone. <laughs> it just felt like a cow coming down the roller line at a like a meat factory. <laughs> coming in hot. And speaking of Chuck E. Cheese... And I'll probably get blasted for this. You know, fuck Chuck E. Cheese. Have you been to a Chuck E. Cheese lately? It sucks. No. I, I, my kids have only been to Chuck E. Chuck e. Cheese twice. And um, it neither one of those times was by me. It's a, it's a cesspool of germs. Well, agreed. But can we just talk about, like, do you remember Showbiz Pizza, which turned into Chuck E. Cheese? Do you remember Showbiz? No. Okay. Showbiz Pizza. Sorry to get off on a side note here, but I got I to talk about this for a second. We used to have Showbiz Pizza. Exactly like Chuck E. Cheese, and you go in the pizza, they have this giant stage, all these animatronic, like there was like an ape and a dog. Those and things like, are terrifying. Yeah, but they were cool as shit, and that was my favorite part of it. Now you go to Chuck E. Cheese, and it's like a 65-inch flat screen playing videos of Chuck E. Cheese singing a song. Like, they don't even have the robotic 
animatronic things anymore. It pisses yeah, me off. because I lit those motherfuckers on fire. <sighs> those are so horrifying. Stupid. If anybody's been to Showbiz Pizza, please, like, get on our Facebook or eat. Like, I miss that fucking place. I miss Discovery. I really do. Can somebody open up an adult Discovery Zone? There needs to be one. My God. Can you and something back? better than Dave and Buster's. Yeah, they're kind of lame, too. No, oh, well, well. fucking Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> Stop taking your kids to Chuck E. Cheese. That's where they got COVID. Stop <laughs> this. This is ridiculous. That's why we are where we are. All right. Sorry. Back to Richard Speck. So um, after quitting school, he works for the 7-Up Bottling Company in Dallas for almost three years from 1960 to 63. 7-Up is good. It, fucking 7-Up is delicious. I like the cherry. In October of 61... Speck meets 15-year-old Shirley Annette Malone at the Texas State Fair. Cheryl. Shirley at the Texas State Fair. Uh, she became pregnant after three weeks of dating Richie. Oh, damn, talk about rushing into things. Yeah. So Shirley marries Speck on January 19th, 1962 at the age of 16. She's a peep. Uh, and initially, she moves in with Richard, his mother, sister Carolyn, and Carolyn's husband. And by this time, Speck's mother had separated from good old Lindbergh, uh, and he's living back in California. So at least the drunk asshole stepdad's out of the picture. Yeah, I mean, a little late, though. Yeah. Uh, it's also at this time, you know, since his mom and stepdad split, Richard stops using the name Richard Benjamin Lindbergh and begins using the name Richard Benjamin Speck. And he did this on uh, their marriage license when, when they get married, him and uh, Shirley. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. So when Speck's daughter, Robbie Lynn Speck, was born on July 5th, 1962, he was not present for the birth because oh. he was serving a 22-day jail sentence for disturbing the peace in McKinley, Texas after a drunken brawl. <laughs> so he misses the birth of his own fucking kid because he's in jail for... Also being a drunk asshole. In July 1963, Speck was caught after he forged and cashed a co-worker's paycheck. Can we Jeez. can we guess how much the paycheck was? $12.38. 44 bucks. Uh, he also robbed a grocery store, making away with cigarettes, beer, and $3 in cash. Good for you, Ricard. At this point, Ricard's 21 years old. He's convicted of forgery and burglary, and he's sentenced to three years in prison. He's paroled after serving 16 months, um, after serving from 63 to 65 in the Texas State Penitentiary in Huntsville, Texas. Jeez, okay. So now he's back out on parole after that little stint. The good behavior. One week after his parole on January 9th, oh, 1965, shit. Speck is wielding a 17-inch carving knife when he attacks a woman in a parking lot of her apartment building. That escalated quickly. He flees when the woman screams. The police arrive within minutes, and they apprehend Speck just a few blocks away. Jesus, that, that really escalated. <laughs> yeah, talk. I mean, we're you know drunken brawls, and then you know bump it up to robbery, steal some cigarettes and a little bit of money, and now we're. Yeah, I mean, still, yeah, okay, you got some money, you got some cigarettes, but what the fuck is happening? Yeah, now we just jump into attacking women with knives. Cool. Damn, need warm up to it, right? So he's convicted of aggravated assault. He's given a 16-month sentence to run concurrently with a parole violation sentence. So this fucking dickweed attacks a woman with a knife yeah. and gets 16 months. <laughs> but for the robbery, he gets three years. <laughs> what? Yeah, no. See, this is what no, I'm no. talking about. This, this, oh, my word. Yeah, this shit doesn't make sense very often with our justice Jesus system. Take the wheel. 
so he's also given the parole violation there. Um, he's returned to prison in Huntsville, but due to an error, oh, of course, you know, errors happen. Yeah, they do. He was released just six months later on completion of his parole violation sentence on July 2nd, 1965. So, oops. Someone lost their job there. <laughs> yes, or or got a hefty, hefty smack on the hand. Yeah. So after this release from prison, Speck works for three months as a delivery driver for the Patterson Meat Company and had six accidents with his truck before he's eventually fired for failing to show up for work. Six accidents? Uh, Do they just wonder. have random vehicles laying around that that six vehicles being damaged isn't a big deal? <laughs> I don't know. And I'm assuming, I couldn't find whether or not he was drunk. I'm assuming he's probably drunk driving this was. shit around. Of course. In December of 1965, uh, with the recommendation of his mother, Speck, who was by then separated from his wife, so him and Shirley already separated. Yeah, she knew it was good for her. Speck moves in with a 29-year-old divorced woman who was an ex-professional wrestler not making this shit up. China. And was also a bartender at his favorite bar called Jenny's Lounge. Oh, bartender with quotes. Yeah. Whose mom suggests that? Like, I just can't imagine my mom being like, oh, well, you're single now. You should move in with this uh, bartender and ex-professional wrestler. Because, you know, when you're an alcoholic and you're, you're you know, drunk and been to prison three times, you should definitely be in a relationship with a bartender at your favorite fucking pub. Maybe she was a nice lady. First I don't of know. all, this isn't a pub. The, by the name of it, it's a fucking strip club. Jenny's <laughs> Lounge. That's Thanks. what I'm saying. I don't quotes know. in in lounge. <laughs> Straight so, up poontang in your face all day long. <laughs> it gets better. Here's why mom suggested he move in. It's because this lady needed someone to babysit her three children while she worked. Yeah, let's let's offer up the knife wielding psycho. Right. Right. Hey, I got someone who can watch your kids. Move it's, my son in. It's going to cost you $44. <laughs> uh, so in January 66, Spike, Spike, Speck's wife, Shirley, finally files for a divorce. And that same month, Speck stabs a man in a knife fight at Jenny's Lounge. <laughs> yeah. Was the bartender, now again, quotes, was the bartender there? To witness uh, this, or or does she just not give a shit? I don't. Who knows if she, if she was on the shift that night? So he's charged again with aggravated assault, but a defense attorney hired by his mother was able to get the charge reduced to disturbing the peace. Speck is fined ten bucks and later jailed for three days after he failed to pay the fine. So <laughs> ten dollars <laughs> couldn't pay it, so he's put in jail for three days instead. And that heavy stuff. What the fuck kind of bullshit is happening here? So this marks the last time that Speck would be in police custody in Dallas, which is... He couldn't pay $10. They threw his ass in jail. Yeah. His mom paid for a lawyer, but she couldn't help him out with $10? Maybe it was like a $5 lawyer. That's all she had. I don't know. This is about this stupid... Here, I'm going to pay for a lawyer for you. All to reduce fees, this... And then, hey, that ten dollars is on you, Ricard. I, I can't do any. My hands are my hands are clean of this. Oh man! Uh, no, he was fucking pissed. Yes. So he gets out of jail from his non-fine payment jail time. <laughs> on March fifth, nineteen sixty-six, Speck buys a twelve-year-old car, and then that following evening, he robs a grocery store, steals seventy cartons of cigarettes. <laughs> 
<laughs> then he turns around and he's selling them out of the trunk of his car in the grocery store's parking lot. <laughs> then he abandons the car. I think it, the, <laughs> he got all nervous. He what, abandons the wait. car. Okay, let's not skip over this. Like, this okay. turn of events did not just happen. Yes. First and foremost, he, oh, it, were you robbing for the bail money? Bud, or you're fine? That's already <laughs> null and void. Like, you served jail time. So you steal 70 cartons yes. of 70 cartons. And what do you... No, we're not going to We're not gonna try to get away. We're going to sell them motherfuckers out of the trunk in the parking lot. Of the place you just robbed them from. Oh, my God. As if they're... <laughs> my God. You can't make this shit up. You cannot make this shit up. Oh, man. So... This the, is about the fucking stupidest story I've ever heard. So the police arrive. And they trace the car back to spec because he just fucking bought it. <laughs> forgot it was his own car yeah, it was his so own he car. ditched his own car. oh my god I, I was thinking the car was stolen yeah they, they, <laughs> no he bought it and um, in the car is 65 <laughs> cartons of cigarettes I cannot deal with this <laughs> so, so police issue an arrest warrant for clearly, burglary on March 8th clearly so after learning of the arrest warrant <laughs> for the fear of being caught and serving another prison term. This, by the way, if he would have gotten arrested for this, would have been his 42nd arrest in Dallas. Oh, damn. Yes. Yeah, so he's he's got 41. <laughs> and apparently, at what he learns of this warrant, he's like, 42 is too much. We can't. God. No more arrests in Dallas. So uh, Speck's sister, Carolyn, drives him to the bus depot on March 9th. <laughs> Where's he going to go? And he takes a bus to chicago illinois oh my god my hometown so oh god yeah i am so confused by this whole story <laughs> i just love like how this last like now he's deciding to get out of town like after 41 arrests he's like oh can't do it again have you heard of somebody robbing someplace and leaving their own fucking vehicle for the police to find. I don't know. Yes, people like on do dumb purpose, shit. Though? People do dumbass shit. Oh my god! Now, I imagine nobody's. But if you bought cigarettes from Richard Speck, can you let me know? I want to know what kind you bought, and I want to know if this guy was in the least bit frantic at all. Right. Oh, hey, where'd man. you get those cigarettes? Hey, listen. Don't you fucking tell anybody, but I just stole from the grocery <laughs> store. So Speck makes it to Chicago on the bus, and he stays with his sister Martha Thornton and her family in Chicago for a few days, and then returns to his boyhood hometown of Monmouth, Illinois, uh, where he initially stays with some old family friends. Uh, Speck's brother Howard was a carpenter in Monmouth and found him a job uh, sanding plasterboard for another carpenter. Speck became very angry when he learned his ex-wife, Shirley had remarried two days after she was granted a divorce. <laughs> Which, I don't know why he's... <laughs> one, why he's finding this out and shocked that, that she would do this, but uh, apparently, yeah, she remarries just two days after the divorce is granted. Yeah, because I know... I mean, personally, I know a lot of women who are like, listen, 41's one thing. 42's a complete different story. That's the next step. That's the next step up. Yeah, you're not a fucking catch, Ricard. <laughs> So this he spirals downhill. I mean, this apparently is too much to learn. 
he moves into this place called Chris, the Christie Hotel, which is in downtown Monmouth. Sounds like a really great place. And yeah. he spends most of his time in the downtown taverns. He just bar hops all day. Where does this fucking asshole get his money? Is he still selling those cigarettes? Cigarettes or what? I, apparently, did he pack all them in the in his suitcase on the way home? Yes. No, I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? Who oh, knows I guess he is working now. Yeah, because he's got this job for yeah, the carpenters. Okay. So he's got a little bit of money to throw around. Uh, so at the end of March of '66, while Speck and some acquaintances are on a bar hopping trip to Gulfport, Illinois, which I mean, I'm kind of from the Chicago area. I've never, I mean, I guess this is back in the sixties. Things change, but I didn't know Gulfport was like a huge bar hopping destination, but apparently back then it was, uh, they're detained overnight by police after spec reportedly threatened a man in a tavern restroom with a knife. I likes his knives, likes his booze. All right, dude, this is the third time's a charm on April 3rd of that year. Mrs. Virgil Harris, a 65 year old resident of Monmouth returns home at 1 a.m to find a burglar in her house brandishing a knife. Carrying behind him she, a sack <laughs> of cigarette cards. A Red Rider wagon <laughs> full of Marlboros. Uh, she described him as a six-foot-tall white man who was very polite and spoke very softly with a southern drawl. So the man blindfolded her, tied her up, raped her, ugh. ransacked her house, and stole the $2.50 she had earned babysitting that evening. Okay, Ricard just turned into the yes. biggest piece of shit. Yes. This poor fucking lady. A week later, a woman by the name of Mary Catherine Pierce, a 32-year-old barmaid who worked at her brother-in-law's tavern called Frank's Place in downtown Monmouth, was last seen leaving the tavern at 12.20 a.m. On April 9th, she was reported missing, um, and her body was found that day in an empty hog house behind the tavern. Jesus. She had died from a blow to her abdomen. Abdomen? Why can't I talk? She had died from a blow to her abdomen that ruptured her liver. So we oh, got kill number one. That's a painful one. way to go, man. Kill number one's in the books here. With a knife, I imagine? No, just a punch to the gut, I guess, that had Wait, ruptured her, her liver. shit. Hit her that hard, it, it made her liver burst. And uh, she Dead was left in this hard. hog house. Back behind this tavern. Yeah, because that's exactly where you would want to be found. Right. Fucking hog house. Well, well we're, we're going to explain why, once again, Mr. Richard Speck isn't the brightest fucking person. <laughs> because he had frequented Frank's place as a bar goer. Uh, and the empty hog house where the body ended up being discovered was one of several that he had helped build as a carpenter the previous month. Oh, my gosh. So Monmouth police brief, briefly questioned him about Pierce's death when uh, he showed up to collect his final carpentry paycheck from the tavern. Um, and they asked him to stay in town for further questioning. Hey, you know, they kind of talk about him, talk to him. And they say, hey, stick around town. You know, we may have some more questions later on. When police show up at Christie Hotel on April 19th to continue questioning Speck, they discover he left the hotel. He's gone. He yeah, bounced. No shit, you fucking ass. You don't say stick around. Yeah. Right, and apparently he was carrying his suitcases a giant sack full of cartons of cigarettes. I'm just kidding. I threw that in there. <laughs> I was just um, very fucking serious. And I guess he told the front desk gal that he's just going to the laundromat. But she thought it was weird he said that because he's like taking all his shit with him. God, um, he's an idiot. So obviously he's left town. A search of his room turned up a radio 
and costume jewelry that Mrs. Virgil Harris had reported missing from her house. So this is the lady that was raped and tied up. Fucking asshole. As well as items reported missing in two other local burglaries in the past month. So they're discovering Speck. He's a burglar. And if he happens to catch... a fucking vile piece of shit. Yeah, if he happens to catch a female at home, he does his thing there too. On April 19th of 66, Speck returned to stay with his sister Martha in their second floor apartment. 3966 North Avondale Avenue in the Irving Park area of Chicago. Stop letting this fucking dick stay at your house, asshole. Well, they don't know what's going on. This is an interesting address for me, though, because Irving Park's kind of where my family's from. So, is like, it? I know this area, like Avondale Avenue. I know, like, I can visualize it. I know where this is at. It's kind of cool for it's me to, weird, like, yeah. I did. And really, when I started, I knew a little bit about this case, but like once I started researching and stuff, I was like, oh man, there's like some addresses I know and shit in here. Like it's kind of, kind of cool. So anyway, he's on the Northwest side of Chicago in old Irving park. Um, so he's there with his sister and her husband, Jean Thornton. Um, and their two teenage daughters live in the apartment as well. Uh, Martha had worked as a registered nurse in pediatrics before she was married and her husband, Jean worked nights as a railroad railroad switchman. So working on the, I don't know, probably the Amtrak or something up there. Yeah. Uh, Speck told them an unbelievable story about having to leave Monmouth after refusing to sell narcotics for a crime syndicate there. So when they ask him like, you know, why are you back in Chicago? Why didn't it work out of Monmouth? Apparently there's this crime syndicate in this, you know, where a tiny town of 8,000 people that wanted him to sell narcotics and he refused. So he had to bounce. So he is smart enough to come up with some bullshit like that. Yes. But, oh my yeah. Lord. So Gene, you know, Martha's husband, his brother-in-law, um, had served in the U.S. Navy, and he thought that maybe a U.S. merchant marine might provide a suitable occupation for this unemployed brother-in-law. He thought, you know what? He needs to kind of get his act together. He needs some money. needs to learn some shit. He should go to the U.S. Merchant Marines. So on April 25th, he takes Speck to the U.S. Coast Guard office to apply for a letter of authority to work as an apprentice seaman. The application required being fingerprinted and photographed and having a physical examination by a doctor. Yes. Yeah. He finds work immediately after obtaining the letter of authority. He joins the 33-member crew of the Inland Steel, uh, I'm sorry, Inland Steel's Clarence B. Randall. So Inland Steel is like a Chicago. There's a huge like steel industry, kind of like you know Pittsburgh, uh, especially with the Great Lakes there. And um, so he gets on this this ship, um, and it's an Ore Lake freighter. So they're you know he's on this big basic big, big fucking boat that yeah. moves ore around the Great Lakes. Um, he gets this job on April 30th. His first voyage on the Clarence B. Randall though was very brief because. He gets appendicitis the fourth day Good. on the boat. Good. Um, and he's evacuated by a U.S. Coast Guard helicopter to St. Joseph's Hospital in Hancock, Michigan. And there's where he has an emergency appendectomy. Mm. So he makes it three days as he a made seaman. It through it. He's a, he's a poor seaman. <laughs> so after he's discharged from the hospital, Speck returns to stay again with his sister Martha and her family in Chicago to recuperate and on may 20th he rejoins the crew of the clarence b randall on which he served until june 14th until he got drunk quarreled with one of the boat's officers here we go and was put ashore on june 15th so basically he got into it with like the fuck you know like a captain or you know one of the officers of the ship and they said fuck you off my ship well good 
For the following week, Speck stayed at the St. Elmo, which is an Eastside Chicago flop house at 99th and South Ewing Avenue. Speck then travels by train to Houghton, Michigan, staying at the Douglas House to visit Judy Lekanami, the 28-year-old nurse's aide going through a divorce. He likes going for these soon-to-be divorcees. Uh, and he, he had befriended her at St. Joseph's Hospital. So when he had the appendicitis and his appendix removed is when he met her. Oh, and so they started talking, and now he's kind of shacking up with her. June 27th, after Judy gave him 80 bucks to help him until he found work, Speck left to again stay with his sister Martha and her family in Chicago for the next two weeks. Jeez, he just hopping all over the place. Yes. On June 30th, Speck's brother-in-law, Gene, drives him again to the National Maritime Union Hiring Hall at 2335 East on 100th Street um, to file his paperwork for a Siemens card. Uh, the NMU Hiring Hall was one block east of a five-attached two-story brick townhouse three of which were occupied by South Chicago Community Hospital senior student nurses. Oh, great. And Filipino exchange registered nurses. Eight of these nurses lived in the easternmost townhouse at 2319 East 100th Street, which is just 150 feet from the NMU hiring hall. This is, I know there's a lot of information very quick. It's going to come into play later. I don't like this. On Friday, July 8th, 1966, Speck's brother-in-law, Gene, drives him to the NMU hiring hall to pick up his Siemens card and register for a berth on a ship. So basically, you go, you know, once you're certified to be on a boat, they have this hiring hall you can go to and say, hey, I'm looking for work. And then all these companies that have ships will come in and say, we need 100 seamen to run this ship or that. Okay. And they kind of like, it's kind of like a employment agency okay. or a, like temp agency, but for like working on ships. Okay, that makes sense. So they go to pick up a Siemens card. Um, he loses out that day. He didn't get um, any spots. Um, and he returns back to sister and brother-in-law's house. By Monday, July 11th, Speck had outstayed his welcome with his sister, Martha, and her family. Clearly. Um, so basically, he packs his bags. His brother-in-law drives him to the NMU hiring hall again um, and basically kicks him out of the car and says, best of luck. Hope you get a job. Au revoir. Uh, which he doesn't get a job that day. He ends up staying at Pauline's rooming house, um, which is about one mile away from this NMU hiring hall. Tuesday, July 12th, Speck returns to the hiring hall mid-afternoon. Uh, he received an assignment on Sinclair Oil's tanker, the SS Sinclair Great Lakes, which Sinclair, I believe, is a little green dinosaur, if you remember. Little green dinosaur, Sinclair Oil. Anyone? Oh, uh, yeah. Um... So this is a 30-minute drive away East Chicago, Indiana, is where he needs to go get to the ship. So when he arrives there, he finds that a spot had already been taken by a more senior person, and he was driven back to the NMU hiring hall, uh, which was then closed. So he's kind of just shit out of luck. Um, he didn't have enough money for a rooming house, so he dropped his bags off six blocks east, um, and he slept in an unfinished house off 103rd Street. So basically, he just finds this, like, he just starts uh, squatting, basically. Basically, yeah. He's just, you know, he's out of money. They're not giving him any work. He's just kind of squatting. On Wednesday, July 13th, Speck picks his bags up and he checks back in at the NMU hiring hall. He was angry for being sent a non-existent assignment the day before, you know, being sent to Indiana and then having to go back. Right, yeah, and that's understandable. He talks for 30 minutes in the car with his sister Martha and husband Gene, who had driven down there to visit him. I guess he had called them and said... Talk, kind of told him the bullshit. So at least they drove down to like talk to him face to face. Say, right. Hey, what's up? Yeah. 
So they park on East 100th Street next to the Luella Elementary School, across the street from the townhouses where the nurses live. At 10.30 a.m., he was tired of waiting at the NMU hiring hall for a job. He's frustrated. He's fucking over it. Uh, he had 25 bucks left that his sister had given him to help him out. And he got out of her car and he walked. Um, and he went to check in at a shipyard to see if they had work. He's kind of roaming around this area of this shipyard. He's checking the boarding houses, seeing how much there. He's looking for a place to stay and he's pissed. Right. Speck spent the rest of the day drinking. So he takes that 25 bucks. It's meant to help him out. He's like, fuck it. Let's drink. Um, he ends up accosting this uh, Ella May Hooper at knife point. She's a 53-year-old woman who had spent the day drinking at the same taverns he was. At. Oh, well, shit. She ain't got any, probably any more money than you do. Yeah. Speck, Speck takes her to his room at the shipyard inn. I guess he finds this room at this you know, motel. He rapes her. He steals her black $16 mail order twenty two caliber pistol off Jesus. of her. Jesus. Um, so now he's armed with a gun, too. Um, and then after dinner at the nearby K's pilot house, Speck returns to drink at the shipyard in his tavern until 1020. This dude's pretty fucking brazen. I mean, he's taking people back to his room, raping them and robbing them, and then just going right back down to the bar and being like, let's have another round. I'm, I don't know if it's just... I don't even know what to say about this. I mean, you're right. It definitely is strange. I mean, typically a criminal, when they you know commit a crime they don't like stay in the vicinity or the same establishment right right or like i mean they said this woman was kind of in the same bars he was right figure so other she people probably know goes her. there right yeah and he just goes right back down there like hey well, another round that's so fucked up so here's where things get really interesting though he's in the shipyard in his tavern drinking some more after this rape and robbery until about 10 20 p.m that's when he leaves the tavern He's dressed entirely in black. He's armed with a switchblade and LMA Hooper's handgun, which he had just stole. And he walks about a mile and a half to the west to East 100th Street to the nurse's townhouse at 2319 East 100th Street. Oh, shit. And I'm going to pull a Nick Cannon on you because we're going to take a quick break. But what he does in the nurse's townhome, I would stay tuned for. Fuck you, Nick Cannon. Okay, so at 11 p.m., July 13th, 1966, Richard Speck breaks into 2319 East 100th Street in Chicago's Jeffrey Manor neighborhood. Oh, geez. The townhouse was functioning as a dormitory for student nurses. He entered and using only a knife, killed Gloria Davy, Patricia Matusik, Nina Jo Schmali, Pamela Wickening, Suzanne Ferris, Marianne Jordan, Merlita Gargallo and Valentina Passion. So he goes he killed he goes eight ape people. shit. Ape shit in this Jesus Christ these with nurses, a knife with only a knife. Oh my yes. god, that murder scene. So Speck, he later claims he was both drunk and high on drugs and originally planned to just commit a routine burglary. Well, that went south. However, once inside the townhouse, he held the women in a room for hours, leading them out of the room one by one, Jesus. stabbing and strangling each one to death, and then finally raping and strangling his last victim, Gloria Davy. Jeez, oh Pete. One woman, Corazon Amuraro, escaped death because she crawled and hid under a bed while Speck was out of the room. So they think he either possibly lost count 
or uh, might have known that eight women lived there um, and was unaware that a ninth woman was spending the night because Amaro um, was she didn't reside there. She was kind of like visiting to hang out for the night. Good Lord. And she stayed hidden under this bed until 6 a.m. because she was so fucking scared. So he literally went in there and to his knowledge killed every fucking woman that lived in that house. Yeah. Wrongo dick face. Um, two days after the murders, Speck is identified by a drifter named Claude Lunsford. Uh, Speck Lunsford and another man had been drinking the evening of July 15th on a fire escape of the star hotel, 617 West Madison in Chicago. On July 16th, Lunsford recognized a sketch of the murderer in the evening paper and phoned the police after finding Speck um, in his room at the Star Hotel. So basically what had happened was this woman, um, Amuro, Amaro, if I'm saying that right, the one that hid under the bed and survived, yes, yes. she's able to give police a, a pretty good description. And they, they've got this in the papers. There, there's a sketch of this guy everywhere. I mean, this is obviously a talk of the town. I mean, this guy goes in and kills an entire fucking nursing. Eight women, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and and this all happened on the 13th. Now we're two nights later on the 15th. This guy's hanging out on a fire escape, having a good time with these two other dudes who are staying at this motel. You know, he basically goes back to his room or whatever and looks at the paper and holy shit, this guy he's been hanging out with is the sketch. Like, holy fuck. shit. Uh, so he calls police at 9.30 p.m. Uh, the police, however, don't respond to the call. For whatever reason, um, their records show later on that the call had been made. Someone had taken the call, but it, it like never went out to the units working. So no one ever oh, shows up at this oh, hotel. That sucks. So I, I'm just getting back into how kind of dumb Spec is as far as like how he commits his crimes. So... What, he write his name on the wall? No, but here's someone who recognizes him and calls police. But to Speck's luck, the police don't... It, there's lost communication there. The cops never show up. So then he decides he's going to try and commit suicide in the hotel. So Speck attempts suicide, and a Star Hotel desk clerk phones in around midnight saying, hey, I got this guy. He just tried to commit suicide. <laughs> So the ambulance shows up. Is it death by a carton of cigarettes? Right. <laughs> Speck is taken to Cook County Hospital about 1230 a.m. On July 17th, so now we're two more nights later, at the hospital, he's finally recognized by a doctor. This doctor, Leroy Smith, a 25-year-old surgical resident physician, uh, he'd, read, he'd read about uh, what had happened in the paper, and apparently they also knew that Speck had this tattoo that said, Born to Raise Hell Jeez. on him. What a fucking loser. And so finally this doctor kind of puts two and two together, sees this guy, recognizes a sketch. He's got the fucking porn to raise hell tattoo on him. And Good the, for you, Dr. Smith. And the police are called and they show up this time oh, to the do. hospital okay. and Speck is arrested. So concerns over the recent Miranda case, because this is back in the, this is back around the time Miranda happened. Miranda had just happened. So because of concerns over that, um, and just a little bit about that, that vacated the convictions of a number of criminals. That whole, if you know about Miranda, yeah, that's like yeah. a whole nother episode we could go into. Um, but basically, you know, Chicago PD was unsure about stuff and, you know, I'm sure cops across the country were trying to figure out what to do right. now that Miranda's going on. So he wasn't, Speck's not even questioned about anything for three weeks. 
He's in he's in custody, and for three weeks, no one even talks to him because oh, wow. they don't want to fuck, fuck it, it up. up. Yeah. Um. So, felony court judge Herbert J. Passion appoints an impartial panel to report on Speck's competence to stand trial. Because I think you know when something major like this happens, you re- you wonder about people's psyche. Kind of automatically, you know, right. kill a house full of fucking nurses like well, out of nowhere, right? Um. So he puts together this panel. A panel of three physicians suggested by the defense, three physicians selected by the prosecution, um, and five psychiatrists, one general surgeon. So the, Jesus. the panel's confidential report deemed that Speck was competent to stand trial and concluded he had not been insane at the time of the murders. So they said, this dude's Good. sane. Let's, let's put him on trial. While awaiting trial, Speck participated in twice-weekly sessions with part-time Cook County Jail psychiatrist Dr. Marvin... Zipperin, hope I'm saying that right. Z i p o r y n, Zipperin. Yeah, that's a weird last name. These conti- these meetings continued after Speck's transfer from uh, Searmac Memorial Hospital inside Chicago's House of Corrections on July 29th until February 13th um, of 67, uh, the day before Speck was transferred to Peoria to stand trial. So they're meeting twice a week. Now Zipperin prepared a discharge summary. Uh, with depression, anxiety, guilt, and shame among Speck's emotions. But also, was it a, also a fucking dickweed? Was that on there too? No, I was going to say also a deep love for his family. He noted <laughs> on there. Oh, did he? It went on to note uh, an obsessive compulsive personality and a Madonna prostitute attitude towards women. What the fuck does that mean? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, Zipper and Maintain Speck viewed women as saintly until he felt betrayed by them for some reason, after which hostility developed. He also diagnosed organic brain syndrome resulting from the cerebral injuries suffered earlier in Speck's life and stated he was competent to stand trial but was insane at the time of the crime due to the effects of alcohol and drug use on his organic brain syndrome. Fuck that. That's a bunch of fucking bullshit. You can't, you don't, that's the stupidest defense. It, yeah. I, yeah. I don't. I, your choice to drink alcohol and, ta- and, and to, to take drugs and whatever it does to your psyche, that's fucking on you. Right. You don't get to go out and kill eight women in cold blood and be like, oh, well, I've been drinking so much. It's that wet brain. That's your fucking fault. <laughs> it's that wet brain. I've never heard that before. Fuck off. So this Dr. Zipperin, however, he's a real piece of work. He ends up not testifying for the defense or the prosecution because both sides are troubled to learn that before the trial even begins, this Zipperin guy is writing a book about spec for financial gain because this is obviously a very, you know, this is a huge yeah, story. Conflict of interest, yeah. you fucking ass bag. Zipperin, now you fuck this all up. He's also fired from the Cook County Jail after Good. they learn of the book. Good. Uh, and at some point during his interviews with Speck, Zipperin had obtained a written three-sentence consent from Speck authorizing him to tell, quote, what I am really like, end quote. And yeah, his... He sounds like a tool. He do, okay? Yeah, he does. Like, you don't have anything interesting to say, Ricard. Seriously. <laughs> Ricard. Like, what is it? The book is two pages at the end? Like, what? no. Right. Um, if anyone's interested, Zipperin's biography of Speck was published in the summer of 1967, and you can still find it. Fuck you, Zipperin. Uh, Speck later claims he has no recollection of the murders, but he had confessed the crime to Dr. Leroy Smith at the Cook County Hospital. 
Smith, however, did not testify because the confession was made while Speck was sedated. So this doctor at the hospital said he admitted it to me, but because he was under sedation at the time and with all Miranda going on and shit, I'm sure they were scared to enter I anything. Don't like where this is going. Uh, Illinois Supreme Court. 16 months. Right. right. Um, Illinois Supreme Court Justice John J. Stamos, uh, Cook County State Attorney when Speck was tried, who knew of the hospital confession, stated, quote, we didn't need it. We had an eyewitness. Speck's jury trial begins April 3rd, 67 in Peoria. They moved it out of out of the big city to Peoria. You know, I guess better jury selection, whatever BS. Uh, It's like three hours southwest of Chicago. And there's a gag order put on the press. Um, Speck was positively identified by the sole surviving student nurse, Corazon Amira, uh, when she was asked if she could identify the killer uh, of her fellow students that night. She literally stood up from the witness box, walked down to the defense table, right across the table from Speck, pointed at her finger in his face, apparently nearly touching him, and said, this is the man. Like, she didn't just do it from the witness Girl, box. Like, she are, fucking marched down there and was like, this motherfucker right here. You are my fucking hero. Yeah, take that, Ricard, you fucking asshole. Uh, there were also fingerprints found at the scene. So you have a lieutenant from the police department testifying about the fingerprint collection and how they match spec. You know, can we just take a team timeout to just really acknowledge the loss of life? And I mean, this eight women... That's a lot of people. In one night. In and a matter of hours. Just the absolute, like, craziest, saddest thing. I mean, condolences to the fam. I mean, this oh, is absolutely. just insane to me. Absolutely. You take eight lives. Why? You didn't get anything from it. Right. I, 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 oh, man. I'm, well, and here's a little bit of justice payoff for you. On April 15th, after just 49 minutes of deliberation, the jury found Speck guilty and recommended the death penalty. Good. On June 5th, Judge Halbert J. Passion sentenced Speck to die in the electric chair. Suck it, Ricard. But granted an immediate stay pending automatic appeal. You know, death sentence automatically. Whether you want to fucking appeal or not, they appeal it. The Illinois Supreme Court subsequently upheld his conviction and death sentence Good. On November 22nd of 1968. On June 28th of 1971, the U.S. Supreme Court, citing their June 3rd decision in Witherspoon versus Illinois, upheld Speck's conviction, but reversed his death sentence. Uh. Because more than 250 potential jurors were unconstitutionally excluded from his jury because of their conscientious or religious beliefs against capital punishment. So basically what they're saying is when they did jury selection, they didn't ask them either. They didn't ask it or the people that said I'm against the death penalty. The prosecution bounced and said no. Uh, so the cases remain back to Illinois Supreme court for resentencing. So on June 29th of 72 uh, in Furman versus Georgia, the U S Supreme court declared the death penalty unconstitutional. So Illinois Supreme court's only option was to order spec resentenced to prison by the original cook County court. So on November 21st of 72 in Peoria, Judge Richard Fitzgerald resentenced Speck to between 400 to 1,200 years in prison. (laughs) Eight consecutive sentences of 50 to 150 years. Suck it. One for each victim. He was denied parole in seven minutes at his first parole hearing on September 15th of 76. 
and also denied parole at six subsequent hearings in 77, 78, 81, 84, 87, and 90. So while incarcerated, some here's some interesting facts about Richard Speck while he's incarcerated. He's incarcerated at the Statesville Correctional Center in Crest Hill, Illinois. Speck was given the nickname Birdman after the Birdman of Alcatraz movie. If anybody's seen that, it's a good movie, actually. No, I haven't seen that. Well, he's called this because just like Birdman and Alcatraz, Speck keeps a pair of sparrows in his cell that uh, they had flown into his cell, um, and he kind of keeps them there as pets. He's got these little pet birds in his cell with him. Um, he's described as a loner who keeps a stamp collection, enjoys listening to music. His contacts with the warden include requests for new T-shirts, a radio, and other mundane items. The warden merely described him as, quote, a big nothing doing time, end quote. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if that's a compliment. Or, I'm, I'm not entirely uh, sure. It sounds like it could go either way. It's just like, hey, Warden, what do you think of Richard Speck? Who? Yeah, he's a Who fucking the fuck nothing. You? Oh, the, the jackass with the birds? <laughs> uh, although um, he was often caught with some drugs or distilled moonshine from time to time. And uh, apparently he's quoted, you know, punishment. When you're serving 1,200 years in prison, I mean, I guess my reaction would be this way, too he says quote how am i going to get in trouble i'm here for 1200 years like so so okay so they write me a citation for having some alcohol in my you know you fucking nothing inmate yeah uh uh, uh speck reportedly hated reporters um he granted only one press interview in 1978 to chicago tribune columnist bob green during that interview he publicly confesses to the murders for the first time um he said he thought he would get out of prison between now and the year 2000, was his quote, um, at which time he hoped to run his own grocery store business. And when Bob Green asked him if he compared himself to celebrity killers like John Dillinger, he replied, quote, me? I'm not like Dillinger or anybody else. I'm freakish, end quote. You couldn't do anything better than that? That's what you got? <laughs> That's what he got. I'm That's what freakish? He's got. Um, he also stated during this interview that at the time of the killings, he quote, had no feelings. Um, <laughs> but he says things have changed. Oh, okay. Quote, I had no feelings at all that night. They said there was blood all over the place. I can't remember. It felt like nothing. I'm sorry as hell for those girls and for their families and for me. Fuck you. If I had to do it over again, it would be a simple house burglary. That's it. End quote. Fuck you. When Speck was asked to give a final thought for the American people, he said, quote, just tell them to keep up their hatred for me. I know it keeps up their morale, and I don't know what I'd do without it, end quote. Which makes this guy's no a fucking, fucking weirdo, dude. Yes. Ooh, I got somebody you like coming into this. Uh, John Douglas. In his book, Mindhunter, Inside the FBI's Elite Serial Crime Unit, John Douglas of the BSU, John? Behavioral Science Unit. Yes refers to a, a telling prison incident Speck revealed to him in an interview. He said, quote, he found an injured sparrow that had flown in through one of the broken windows and nursed it back to health. When it was healthy enough to stand, he tied a little string around its leg and had it perch on his shoulder. At one point, a guard told him pets weren't allowed. And he said, I can't have it. And then he walked over to a spinning fan and he threw the bird into the fan, at which point it exploded into a million pieces. Horrified, the guard said, I thought you liked that bird. Speck said, I did, but if I can't have it, nobody can. Ooh. It gives you a little... Fucking narcissist. A little look into his mind. In May of 1996, this is where shit gets kind of weird. 
I mean, it's been weird, but it gets yeah, weirder. It has, it has been weird. So in 96, Chicago television news anchor Bill Curtis receives videotapes made at Statesville Correction Facility in 1988 from an anonymous attorney. Sends the press these tapes. Oh, great. And he ends up showing them publicly for the first time in front of the Illinois State Legislature. There were explicit scenes of sex, drug use, money being passed around by prisoners uh, who seemingly had no fear of being caught. In the center of all of this is Speck performing oral sex on another inmate, sharing a large quantity of cocaine with another inmate, parading in silk panties, sporting female-like breasts, allegedly grown uh, with smuggled-in hormone treatments. So Speck had been taking hormone treatments to grow boobs oh my gosh and he's walking around in this video saying quote if they only knew how much fun i was having they'd turn me loose what the fuck the illinois legislature the illinois legislature packed the auditorium to view the two-hour video but stopped the screening when the tape showed spec performing oral sex on another man yeah clearly team time out on that from behind the camera a prisoner asked spec if he had killed the nurses spec responded quote sure i did when asked why, Speck shrugged and jokingly said, quote, it just wasn't their night. What? Asked how he felt about himself in the years since, he said, quote, like I always felt, had no feeling. If you're asking me if I felt sorry, no. He also described in detail the experience of strangling somebody by saying, quote, it's not like TV. It takes over three minutes and you have to have a lot of strength. Jesus. So, yeah, these tapes... And that, I mean, we could really, I, I started going down this rabbit hole of these tapes from Statesville. Like it basically was someone had taken this video and it got in the hands of this attorney and ended up in front of the legislature because they were saying these fucking prisons are like, they're just, there's no rule. Like, right, right. I mean, obviously they're just doing whatever the fuck they're yeah, clearly. doing. Uh, so there's a whole nother episode there on that shit, but he's like the center of attention and you know, he's Mr. Popular with the boobs giving blowies and whatnot. Ugh. Which, in the end, you know, obviously uh, leads up to the state making some changes in their prison system. Clearly. Um, but that, again, is a whole nother story. So, and also, uh, it shows you that when he was interviewed all that time, he was full of fucking shit. Because, yeah. you know, here he is, he's hot. You know, and, and to me, I think people are more open and honest when they're either drunk or high. It's kind of like true serum. Yeah. You know, here he is running around with boobs and panties and sucking dick. And when they're asking him if he gave a shit, he, I won their night. Fuck him. You know, I'd do it again. Which tells me that the other interview he gave where he was trying to act sorry and shit, he's just, he's a piece of shit. He's yeah, full of he's shit. Yeah, he's a fucking narcissist. So on the flip side then, the good side, Speck dies of a heart attack. Sweet. On December 5th, 1991. On the eve of his 50th birthday. <laughs> Fucking dick. Uh, Speck's sister. You suck that. Martha. Martha's back in the picture again. She feared that his grave would be desecrated. So he does not have a physical resting place. He was cremated. His ashes were scattered in a secret location somewhere around Joliet, Illinois. Hopefully in a field where every animals constantly piss all over him. Hopefully. And shit, like our dog, with toxic gas smelling bullshit oh whatever gosh. comes out of his it's, ass it's like a it's insane well that's our episode on richard speck what'd you think i thought it was good uh, this one for me i think is weirder 
than most. The ending, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I was not expecting that little tidbit, the, the last two minute conversation we've had. Right. I didn't like, I was reading the story and I was like, okay, kills a bunch of nurses. He's got kind of trauma in his past. Maybe he's a little, you know, he's drunk. He's fucked up. And then I know where it's like, boom, he's got fake boobs in prison. He's sucking dick. He's run, like, where did that shit come from? And, and like, why? I don't know. Like what? I wish we could interview him, but he's dead at 49. Bummer. Hopefully, you know, he's, he's down in hell where he belongs, but hopefully it was a painful, slow death. Yeah. Not a dick. So, well, we that's that. See you guys next yeah, time. Yeah. Thanks. We have to thank our, our, uh, we'll call him our founding Patreon member right yes, now. Cam- Cameron Bennett. Cam- Bennett. Thank you, Cameron. Oh my God. There, it said right on there. I'm going to mispronounce names. Cameron Bennett. <laughs> Thank you, Cameron. Thank you. Um, if you guys are interested in becoming a Patreon member, you can check all that kind of crazy shit out on our website, loveandmurder.com. And please feel free. Send us Facebook messages or you know email ideas. us. Yeah, yeah give us ideas. Sure. If there's a story you want to hear, you want us to cover, let us know and we'll, we'll cover it. Appreciate you guys. All See right. you next time. See you next time. Thank you.